0: Welcome to minute 32 of season five of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee-guy our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action film Die Hard 2, Die Harder, One Minute at a Time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Richard Kirkham of Kirkham, A Movie a Day, and The Shepherd of the Lambcast.
1: Welcome back, Richard. Glad to be here. I hope I'm not pissing in somebody's pool. Uh, I hope not too. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm fresh out of chlorine.
0: <laughs> so, minute 32 begins with Burke reporting to Stuart and ends with John trying to explain the situation. This minute begins where, where we left off yesterday. Yesterday, we left off with, uh, you know, Burke getting ready to report. And today, he actually begins his report. Um, and it's, it's a pretty uh, quick report, also. <laughs> he doesn't really say very much. You know, but we get a few more seconds of uh, John Laguziano, where he then takes out his walkie-talkie and he puts it up to his mouth, and then as he's putting up to his mouth, the shot changes and we get a shot of Stuart. So we, we, you know, we get uh, William Sadler again, and we hear over the radio all systems tapped Colonel. And then uh, we have Stuart saying fire it up. And you know, my, my first question, and we'll, we'll we'll find this out later on, you know, I, I wonder if this is the only dialogue that John Leguizamo has in the entire movie. You know, I, I can't recall hearing him and doing anything else. Obviously, as we go through, we'll see. But I have a feeling this might be pretty much it. He's got all systems tactile.
1: <laughs> yeah, I suspect it is. You know, there are so many of those guys who simply are there to be shot and killed as opposed to providing any exposition yeah we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see about that
0: you know steward then give, gives gives the order and then we we see that there's all these equi- all this equipment around him and you know the, the the men start you know turning on all the equipment and we see that it looks like uh, equipment that one would use control tower yeah, yeah. It, it, that's what it looks like you know it, it made me wonder also like where do you buy this type of stuff <laughs> this is you, you can't just go into the sharper image and you know say okay well I need a uh, you know I need this that and the other thing in order to 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 start landing planes.
1: Well, I'm always amazed at the, the availability of tools, equipment, uh, specialized materials because somebody is manufacturing all this stuff and they have to be supplying people for all kinds of reasons, and that it's not necessary. It's not custom made for every uh, control tower or every uh, terrorist who's in the neighborhood uh, looking for a way to take over things. Correct. Uh, no, so but, it but has I'm to be available this, somewhere, and it just is a matter of you know, figuring out how to acquire it. That's why you have, uh, you know, somebody who's the equivalent of a scrounger on your terrorist team. That's right. But my my
0: assumption is is that you know this is also very costly. I doubt they're renting these these uh, this equipment. You know, it's, it's a question of going over the, on the black market and getting them, or maybe they're stolen from somewhere.
1: That's a, that's another one of those things that could easily be the case. You know, they uh, stole it from someplace. That's probably pretty typical. If if this movie was another half hour, we might have seen that sequence where all of the equipment was stolen. Uh, there would have been a tactical attack on some uh, nearby airport, maybe a military installation. And they'd have uh sort of'd have gotten an extra set of violence there, right, but if that was the case, if they took over
0: another one, then they wouldn't have to move the stuff to you know to this 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 farmhouse. it would be much or to the church. It would be much more difficult to do it that way you know because the well, idea is they, they, they want to be, be close a, by
1: somebody to the airport that they're going to be doing staging their attack at. So I think if you got the equipment from someplace in Nevada, that it's not going to do you much good to hold on to that uh, control tower in Nevada when you need the equipment in Dulles uh, uh, in Washington, D.C. Right. We're just supposed to believe that they somehow got it. But you'd also think
0: that, you know, they must have a lot of funding in order to pay for this. Or at least the promise of funding. Well, I assume
1: that that's all paid for by the drug money from the general.
0: Yeah. But they have – he – you Know it makes you wonder if he's already paid them or if it's a promise. You know, you give him a promissory note.
1: Well, I tell you, the uh, the whole concept of uh, Colonel Stewart and the the general from uh, this country, uh, Valverde. is based on you know, the the idea that Oliver North was going around uh, the restrictions that had been imposed on uh, backing up the sand, not that the Contras down yeah. in um. Nicaragua. Central America and El Salvador in particular, and that uh, there were leaders of countries down there that were engaged in this kind of uh, economic activity. Noriega is the name that jumps out. So you would assume that uh, if this was uh, uh, paramilitated with the CIA, that they were immersed in the enterprise with the general, and so they probably have their own resources uh, Right. I don't worry too much about it. If I did that, I wouldn't be able to get through most movies. That's true.
0: No, obviously, but it, it's fun to think about it, you know, when, when we're going through
1: it minute by minute. That's that's the idea. Yeah, how many yeah. pounds of cocaine did they have to sell to, uh, exactly. to be able to afford all the equipment that's there and pay off all of the soldiers that are going to be involved in this process? That's right. So they're mean, not all there just because they're patriots. Right. It's, it's cocaine math. You know,
0: why not? (laughs) That's, you know, these are the type of questions that they're going to give their kids in school. You know, how many kilos of cocaine does your son need to sell in order to be able to finance, (laughs) you know, taking over a a, uh, Dulles airport?
1: (laughs) You never know. (laughs) One of those math questions. If four pounds of cocaine is traveling at 375 miles an hour toward Dulles airport, and a general is traveling at six hundred miles an hour to Dallas airport, which is going to arrive first you know that's right <laughs> that's right. show your work
0: <laughs> and then we 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 get uh Stuart pacing around the room and then he goes h minus five minutes stand by which made me wonder what the hell is h you know you, you, you I can understand if you were to say you know zero hour or You know, there's there's a whole bunch of different things you could say. But H? Heist? Um, I, you know,
1: no, it probably stands for our. It's probably some reference, a technical military reference that we don't know about.
0: mm -hmm.
1: I'm sure the tech advisor had a reason for suggesting it. Could be. Well, we'll see if it's in the script when we get there.
0: But uh, we'll, we'll find that out. And then the shock goes back to the control tower. Trudeau say, all right. We've got a body in the morgue that seems to have died twice. Assuming it's not a computer error, what do we assume? Then John turns to me and says that somebody is about to f*** this airport. What the hell is that supposed to mean? I know we're dummies up here. So give us a taste of your genius. This Is a hijacking, a robbery, or what? Look, I'm not sure. Oh, he's not sure. I'm stunned. I, I love the way that, that Lorenzo gives delivers that line. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great. You know, he goes, I've got to go lie down. <laughs> and then John responds and says, the only people that go to this much trouble are professionals, not luggage thieves and not punks professional at what? And then John waves the, the dusty air and goes, what the f- do you think this is? The safety patrol? This is the resume of a professional mercenary, and then the the minute gets cut off as he's saying that. I like the argument that the two of them are having here basically John here is the guy who who you know who's cautious and and knows that something's something nefarious is going on and you know he just has to try and convince i mean John always thinks that obviously because he keeps getting to these type of situations where you know he's supposed to be in a normal situation and and terrorists happen to show up so and you know Trudeau, who's just trying to, you know, as we said yesterday, he's the airport uh, COO, so he just wants things to run smoothly. You know, it's it's Christmas week; we got to get things done, and that's it. And,
1: yeah, but he does get a little contaminated by Lorenzo's attitude because he's got that facetious response. You know, well, we're you know, share your genius with us.
0: Yeah, we're we're dummies here.
1: We're dummies here.
0: Gives a so taste I think of your I
1: genius. think Lorenzo's starting to have uh, some impact on Trudeau, although Trudeau seems more reasonable. And uh, this has always been one of my problems with this movie in general. Uh, Dennis Franz's character is just written to be a, uh, an idiot from the yeah. very beginning,
0: That's and
1: right. uh, you wonder how he ever rose to a position of authority, much less the head of security. Uh, operating the way he does and you know of course mclean gets to make the same kinds of comments as he goes along uh, but this is this is one of those examples that he's he's full of bluster that's the only way that he can respond to anything
0: right but you can say the same thing about uh, dwayne t robinson from the first movie yeah yeah you know so i guess you know that's you a character fault
1: have. of all those secondary characters they are incompetent at their job which helps john do do his job better right it makes him look better that's right now he mentions you know the the safety patrol have you ever heard of the safety patrol before well you know i think that there was that's one of those generic terms you might be have the safety patrol in elementary school that uh is making sure that kids are adhering to the rules on the playground that they're not uh, throwing rocks at each other or climbing up uh on the uh, equipment in a manner that is uh, potentially dangerous when when you were in school, there was probably somebody who was responsible for that. Usually it was an older kid who was uh, considered responsible by the uh, the teachers. Okay. All right. The,
0: you're, you're very close. So basically the junior safety patrol is a group uh, that's crossing guards that involves older students helping younger, younger students cross streets in both elementary and middle schools across the U.S. Um both in St Paul and Chicago they started programs in uh, 1920 to be able to to you know to have older kids help with crossing the street as of the 90s there were already 7 in, in 76% of communities across the US they have something similar to the safety patrol AAA is actually a uh, partner in it and AAA supplies uh, material, training materials, badges, orange or neon green, you know, belts that you can use when when crossing the people across the street, stuff like that. Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton were both Safety Patrol members when they were kids. As was Joe uh, Garagiola, who was... Uh, Garagiola,
1: yeah, the baseball Garagiola, player.
0: Baseball In player. Answer. That's right. Uh, Lee Iacocca, the former chairman of uh, Chrysler.
1: He That's also was...
0: Uh, uh, Chief Justice Warren Berger was also one. And 21 astronauts have been in the safety patrol. Um, I, I, I didn't see the list, so I couldn't tell you what it is. But they said that the 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 main thing that they teach in the safety patrol is direct children, not traffic. Which means that, you know, your job is to make sure that the kids know when they can cross and when they can't cross. Not trying to stop the traffic or anything like that.
1: Yeah, that's the job of... Uh, the crossing guards.
0: That's right. That's right. And then the other thing that, that jumped out at me was the idea of a mercenary. So first of all, do you know other names for a mercenary?
1: Well, uh, you know, they are, uh, I think that's the generic term. We've. I, I'm. The first time I heard it was when they were talking about the Hessians back in the Revolutionary War. Uh, they were mercenaries that were employed by the British. I don't know that there are other terms. I, they're paid professionals. We have uh, Contract operators nowadays that uh, might be described as mercenaries, you know, and that's the, and mercenaries the term that was always used when they were talking about people who were fighting for pay in those uh, Central American and African civil wars that went on so right. often in the mm-hmm. 1960s and 70s.
0: Correct. So they're also known as soldiers of fortune.
1: Yeah, there you go. That's a, there's a magazine, Soldier of Fortune. That's magazine. right.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. They're known as hired guns, um, but mostly they're either known as mercenaries or mercs. Okay, and basically they're people, as you said, who fight for money or other forms of payment instead of for political interests. You know, the reason that they're there is to get paid. In the 20th century, they uh, they actually stopped, like the rules of war stopped, uh, you know, giving protection to people who are considered as uh, mercenaries so even the, the generic the geneva convention um says that they're not recognized as legitimate com- combatants and you don't have to give them the same protections as uh, other uh, captured personnel might be i mean i remember when i was when i volunteered when i when i moved to israel so it was before i became a citizen and i volunteered to you know to, to join the army here and I had to sign a paper saying that if something ever happens to me, I've retroactively became a citizen when I, you know, when I uh, signed up so that I wouldn't be considered a mercenary. There you go. You know, so I find that to be, uh, you know, to, for, so for me, the idea of, of potentially being considered a mercenary is scarier, <laughs> you know, because especially if you know you're not a mercenary. Yeah,
1: that that only works if you're in combat with another nation. So if Syria or Egypt was attacking Israel, then you'd be covered. Uh, but if you're dealing with a terrorist organization, they don't give a crap about that anyway. That's right. They, you know, they, they treat everyone the same.
0: <laughs> That's true. It's a, a very, very good point. <laughs> so, I mean, this minute doesn't give us that much, but it does give us some some interesting, you know, conflict between the characters where John is basically trying to win Trudeau over because he knows that he's got no chance of, of winning Lorenzo over. Lorenzo has no interest, uh, in, in siding with John, you know, as far as he's concerned, you know, as he says, you know, John's got no authorization here at all. So, you know, that, and that's pretty much all we have for this minute. Uh, do you have anything else, uh, before we get into the script? I do not. Okay. So, first of all, the conversation with Burke is slightly different. Not much, but it's slightly different. So, uh, Burke says we're hot instead of uh, saying all systems tapped, kernel. But, obviously, all systems tapped is, is better because it, it lets us know a little bit more about what's going on. And then Stuart says light it up instead of fire it up. Again, very simple. Very, very similar. You know, it could just be something the actor decided to change. Then the script says, The signal is given. Switches are thrown. Camera pans over and up to the choir loft, which which is electronic heaven. Everything comes online. And then Stuart says, Five minutes to zero hour. Stand by. And then we go back to, you know, the control tower. And... You know the the conversation is a little different. John says, "I think something serious is going to happen here tonight." And then Trudeau says, "Hey, something serious happens every night. Only it doesn't make the newspapers. Ever see those guys on TV juggling knives and chainsaws? That's what we're gonna. That's what we're doing with those planes up there. Only we do it one handed because the other the other hands playing three card monte with the planes on the ground. Anybody try and fix fix the deck tonight?" anything weird going on besides the shooting? That's what McLean says that. And then Barnes says, we did lose FAA approach control. McLean goes, what's that? One way we manage the planes, but we've got backup. And a long look from McLean. Okay, you got backups. Backup for everything you think can go wrong. What about something nobody anticipated? Not accidents, not weather. Then Trudeau says, dryly, the human element? McLean goes, damn straight, the human element. And that's it. So it's it's very different. There are pluses and minuses to, to the added dialogue here. Um, I mean, I like the fact that they already mentioned to, to John that something has gone wrong, because in the script that was mentioned earlier, they had the, the extra scene where, you know, something did go, something went offline already. I, but, but on the other hand, I, I still like the way they do it in, in the movie itself. So it's, I, I think either way works. And I, I like the fact that we have a more animated Trudeau. Because in the script he's not very animated with what he says here, you know, because he's dryly talking about, uh, you know, the human element, and his speech about what they do every day is is actually cool to hear, but I don't know if uh, if it if it would have been viable, you know, to have it on screen the way that he says it. You know, talking about them juggling knives and chainsaws and then uh, playing yeah. three card monte with the other hand. And thats It's also a little too, he's patting himself on the back a little too much as to, you know, what they do there.
1: Well, I think you get a good sense that there's already plenty of complications that they have to deal with. And, you know, that just makes it, it's superfluous narration and exposition. Correct. We, we get the idea. Yeah. They're very busy. There's a lot that can go wrong.
0: Yes, there definitely is. And there's a lot that will go wrong for that very same reason. Every Tuesday, we have a segment called Disaster Tuesday. And this segment is basically I, I've, I've scoured the internets, you know, to find uh, some sort of disaster, airplane disaster that happened. You know, to, generally, it's about someone famous. And I try to find something that is at least geographically close to where my guest is from so um have you ever heard the name richard of henry john
1: uh
0: deutschendorf jr
1: is that john denver
0: yes it is very good <laughs> i i never knew that that was his name that his name yeah. was deutschendorf so yes john denver who was born december 31st 1943 and passed away on October 12, 1997, at the age of 53. Okay, he is uh, an American guitarist, singer, composer, actor, humanitarian, and environmentalist. And he's mostly known for popularizing acoustic folk music in the 1970s. He recorded and released about 300 songs, Um, 200 of them he composed himself, he had 33 albums and singles that were certified gold or platinum in the U.S. Um, and uh, he mostly sang about joy in nature, disdain for city life, enthusiasm for music, and relationship trials. Okay. Do you know what? What I mean? Do, do you know what happened to him on October 12,
1: 1997? Well, I know that he was flying. What? Is deemed an experimental aircraft and it failed. Uh Pretty much, yeah. And do you know where 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 he crashed? I'm trying to remember. I I thought I was in California, but maybe obviously maybe it's in Texas. Because, no, 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 uh, it is in California. You're it's in California. For
0: and I, I I when I think of you, I think of of, of California. <laughs> what can I tell you? You
1: know, uh, that's where I lived for 62 years. So. There you go. That's why yeah. you know I.
0: You know, I still think of you as a Californian. You know, sorry. That's okay. Um, so yeah, where where in California do you think it, do do you, do you remember where it happened in California?
1: Uh, I I couldn't say for sure. Probably the Central Valley somewhere. Okay, yeah, you'll I mean I'll mention the name and you'll know probably where
0: it is. I don't know specifically. You know how far it was from you. It's it, he crashed in Monterey Bay, which is near Pacific Grove, California.
1: Yeah, Monterey Bay is up on the near south of san francisco uh there's a college there um and there's a very nice uh, aquarium there in that area also mm-hmm. it's a beautiful area uh and if he was on the coast you know it's there's not a lot of places to crash well he crashed and in the water you're going to get out of it easy because right. it's it's a, a rough area Right. Well,
0: I mean, basically, as you said, his his plane, it wasn't just that it was an experimental craft. It was a home built aircraft. OK, meaning someone just put it together in their in their garage or their backyard or whatever it is and sold it to him. He himself had over twenty seven hundred hours of flight experience. Um, He was known as an accomplished uh, pilot. OK, but he wasn't legally allowed to fly at the time of the crash okay he had been arrested numerous times for drunk driving and in 1996 uh, about a year before the accident um the faa learned that that he wasn't able to maintain sobriety therefore they revoked flight license his medical certification to fly right um i i, I want to state that according to you know the the autopsy and everything like that he he did not uh, there was no sign of alcohol or drug use uh in his body at the time but he wasn't supposed to be flying, regardless of it. Um, now, apparently, the, they, you know, when they when they did the the investigation after the the accident, they realized they, they realized that the problem was is that it was his inability to switch fuel tanks during flight. Okay, he he basically flew uh, far enough that he needed to switch uh, between the two gas tanks or the fuel tanks that they have on the, the plane and the the when they the person built this aircraft, they actually put the switch behind the pilot's seat, meaning someone else should theoretically be doing it you know if you have someone else in the plane but he was there on his own and he he had to try and you know twist around and you know flip the switch in order to to switch the fuel from being taken from from uh from one tank to the other tank okay so that basically the pilot needs to turn his body 90 degrees in order to reach the valve and what this does is this created a natural tendency to extend one's right foot against the right rudder pedal to support oneself while turning in the seat which caused the aircraft to yaw nose right and pitch up which basically ended up causing the 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 accident and eventually uh you know he, he unfortunately died in this uh accident so yeah it's basically, uh, you know, they they didn't uh, they didn't build this this, this aircraft properly, which uh, is a little bit of a problem. So yeah, unfortunately, that's what happened to John Denver. Okay, so Richard, do you
1: have you want to tell people how they can get in touch with Richard Kirkham? Hey, I'm available at the uh, Lambcast, which you can find at the Large Association of Movie Blogs, largeassmovieblogs.com. And uh, you can also find me at Kirkham a Movie a Day. Uh, there are two Kirkham a Movie a Day sites. One is class.blogspot.com. The other is Uh Both have the same content, but the blogspot uh, site is a little bit easier to access.
0: All right, great. And while you're doing that, you can rate, review, and subscribe to any podcatcher you might be using to listen to the show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for a Movie a Minute. You can find me. On my website, moveoneminute.com. You can find me on Facebook, and you can find me on Twitter. So, Richard, do you feel like coming back again tomorrow?
1: Uh, absolutely. You know, there's going to be something that's going to I'm going to want to talk about tomorrow. I'm sure. You All know, right. Well, maybe do, there's something you're going to do.
0: You know, just re- report anything unusual, however trivial it is. <laughs> okay. Well, you give me 20 bucks, <laughs> and I'll let you do that. All right. Sounds good. All right. So, until tomorrow,
1: yipikai. Yippee Kaye everybody.
0: If you're fond of sand
1: dunes
0: and salty air Quaint little villages here.